This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver, the tattered cover filed for bankruptcy this week. So we're asking, will this holiday season be the iconic bookstore's last? Plus, book bans, bad bridges, and goodbye band camp. Today is Friday, October 20th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city where you soon may be able to buy psilocybin edibles. New York Times columnist, watch out. Who wrote that? Was it Maureen O'Dowd that did the piece, Paul? That sounds familiar. Where she's like, I ate too much edibles. Here's my horrible Denver's story scary. about it. <laughs> I was like, Denver's what so editor greenlit this story? Come on. Psilocybin edibles, like... Just like chocolate, mushrooms and chocolate, I'm guessing. The Westward story had a picture of like little um, like truffles, like little mm. bonbons. Cute. Fancy looking. I don't really get the appeal, to be honest. I mean, think about it. I remember when I was in high school, people were like, you want to do mushrooms? You They get grown on cow shit. And you're like, no, yeah. why would I want to do that? I guess so this, this is, is better the, than that. Yeah. I'm on antidepressants, so I can't take them. But have fun, you know? <laughs> Do you? Uh, it's Friday. We're in the 5280 Magazine studios. You've heard Paul, my producer. Hey. Hello. Hey, Hi. Good morning. We have a great guest today. She's a returning guest. Um, we had her on a year ago to talk about her amazing horror novel, White Horse. And the paperback is out this month ahead of Halloween. Erica T. Worth, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. I don't mean to like fawn over you again, but I loved White Horse so much in part because I could just like wander around the city and see all the places that exist in the book. Absolutely. Yep. I I I grew up like 40 minutes from here. So yep. You know, you know the city so well. Um, well, we're talking today about the tattered cover bankruptcy. And we were like, who better to talk about this than a, a an author, a person we have right here that deals with the sort of book selling system. Um, the big story though this week is um they've now filed for bankruptcy. Uh interim CEO Brad Dempsey says he plans to lay off 27 employees and shutter three stores, the Westminster, Colorado Springs, and the new flagship McGregor Square store downtown, um, all in an effort to streamline the business and put it in a position for a bounce back. Erica, I want to start with you. You're an author. Tattered Cover has probably sold a lot of your book. What does this mean to you? I think ultimately I would be ecstatic if it stays in existence in any form because, you know, when I was a kid, that's where we would go. Yeah. Um, we would go to – my dad would take me to the tattered cover and I was like super nerdy. And so he would go wherever and then I would go to the nerd section. And that original tattered cover in Cherry Creek was so immense. It was truly <sighs> like a dream. I have um, dreams about it. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, the kind of thing like, you know, when a bookstore in a magical place. It you exists know? in a book. It was a bookstore that existed in a book. It had like these just it was like dark wood and beautiful little coves to sit in and green the green carpet that was so iconic. And it felt 
like a special place. Paul, did you get to go to that one? Never went to that one, but I have these exact same feelings about Tattered Cover. But really? about the old downtown location yes. across from Union Station. Yes. They somehow yeah. found another place that had the exact same feeling, the same exposed wood, that weird creepy guy, that doll Oh, the thing. sleeping, the, the, I'm sorry, the, the grandpa that was like in a yeah, chair yeah, yeah. reading a newspaper and it's a sculpture. Do you remember this? <laughs> I will, we'll find a picture of it and you'll be like, yeah, oh, that guy used to still be, there. he was on the landing at Cherry Creek in one of the stairways for a oh, long time. Okay. Yeah. But you know what, Paul, that, what's funny to me is we're in this era where we're recreating experiences, like immersive everything. And mm-hmm. it's like, we're trying to recreate what made places fun, which was atmosphere, you know what I mean? We're missing that. I feel like I feel like a lot hmm. of times it's like the atmosphere part is missing. I talk about this a lot with restaurants, but about like new are, are there are there new bookshops that you are, are you talking about like other tattered cover locations that open like McGregor Square? Because that place did not really. I understand why they're closing that one. It didn't. I have went the there vibe. a few times. It always had low inventory, which I've talked to some people that seems like that's been a persistent issue. But it didn't. It had those like glass windows. It just felt harsh. Like I did not like the vibe. It just yeah. did not feel like a bookstore to me. Well, and Erica, you're talking about it being a kid and going to the special place and then getting to be the author with the book on the shelf at that place. That's like kind of a full circle moment. Yeah, I I definitely, um, and I have, you know, I do love the new tattered cover and I do love, I did love the Lodo location. Hmm. Um, and I'm near Aspen Grove. And so like, I love, I love that it's there and they, they love horror there. But yeah, cool. it definitely, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a writer almost immediately. And I have no idea why, because I knew nobody who was a writer. Hmm. So yes, that was absolutely something that at a certain point, for whatever reason, occurred to me, like, my God, I could be on one of those shelves. So yeah, it, it is super cool. And that feels like extra hard, I think, when you're like, wait, this place that I wanted to be so badly, I got to. And now I don't know if it's going to exist anymore. Paul, Mm -hmm. you know what? Can you give us a little bit of the backstory of how we got here to this this bankruptcy conversation? Because Tattered Covers had a pretty rough last couple of years. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of, most people know the big stuff, which is like Joyce Meskis, the longtime owner, uh, first amendment champion. Um, she retired in 2015, passed the tattered cover onto these two people who ran it for a few years, um, made a very, what some people saw as a unfortunate statement on the black lives matter movement yeah. back in the summer of 2020, there was a big blowback. Um, I don't think they ever really recovered. I mean, also there was a pandemic happening and they run a bookstore and <laughs> they run a bookstore that's very experience based, powerful company that can deliver a book to your stoop called Amazon. And that's tough to yeah. compete with during a pandemic. Um, so that was clearly not going well. And then there, this local group of rich dudes lent by <laughs> the likes of, uh, Davida's Kent theory. Um, but, but also a newcomer, a new face who we're going to have to talk about Kwame Spearman. Um, he came in, he's part of the ownership group still, and he was the CEO and, uh, and then he went to run for mayor and then he dropped out and now he's running for school board. And then they got this new CEO, uh, Dempsey, who's a Republican, who's also kind of like a free speech yeah. guy, but he's basically coming in to, to run the bank. I want to touch on something you mentioned, is, Paul, is which was, uh, during the first sort of change of ownership. Uh, like you said, the owners made this very unfortunate statement about Black Lives Matter and was kind of convoluted and weird about where they stood around what they sold. And f- I, it was yeah. not good. And I remember there were many, many, many writers in this city that came together and were like, we we're against this. We're openly opposing this statement by this bookstore that's been so important to us. 
Erica, do you remember that moment or were you part of that conversation? Yeah. And I just, there are so many, I feel like the thing that I'm starting to learn as a writer, um, as I become more and more visible and what that means is you really don't want to die on very many hills. Yeah. Why would they want to die on that hill? Yeah. That's a dumb hill to die on. And that made me sad. So yeah, I, yeah, I feel you. It was, it just felt weird. It felt off from, we'll find the statement and we can share it so folks can have mm-hmm. better context. Cause I'm not doing a great job of explaining what it was, but it just was like very, felt very counter to what tattered cover has, has been for a long time, which was Joyce Meskis was a free speech advocate. I mean, she was someone that openly opposed, uh, authorities being able to see what her customers had purchased, right? That was her one of her big things. Um, I wonder, though, how much these politics really affected the brand and how much people like related to Tattered Cover. Because I know when Kwame Spearman was running for mayor, like like many people, you know, I agree with him about some things. I disagree with him about a lot of things. He's a politician and he's the CEO of this company. He kind of represents them. Like, that's such an odd business choice. I, I actually got a chance to talk to Kwame earlier this week about all this. And he... um. He told me, now this is obviously him talking, but he told me that the sales numbers didn't go down after he ran for mayor. They stayed the same. So whatever his opponents or supporters felt, if they shopped more or less, it didn't affect the health of the business. So I kind of suspect, I mean, I don't remember, that 2020 summer was like a whole different world now. It's hard to get back in that mindset, but I just, I wonder how much these controversies uh, have actually affected the fundamentals. Yeah, I think it's probably, I feel like it's a combination of all those things. Like it's adding on to something that was already shifting, which is this conversation about where we buy books, if we buy books, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. um, I'm also thinking about Joyce, when Joyce was running Tattered Cover, there was huge controversy over her stance on um, the camping ban. And she tried to explain it. I'm not going to defend her or say what she said, but... I wondered if that impacted the business in the same way and maybe not. But I think, I don't know. We're like you said, Paul, we're looking at a different time. 2015, when Joyce was in charge versus the summer of 2020, for sure. Maybe the tattered cover just never recovered from the pandemic, which a lot of well, businesses did. I think what when I was saw the news break earlier this week, the response I saw was, they expanded too rapidly. That's what the current CEO Dempsey was saying. He said, we had all these stores. We just It was just too much. We couldn't su- supply them all. I think it's different stores were profitable and, and others weren't. That's what Kwame told me, at least. Like the McGregor Square one, he said, has suffered. The numbers mm. have not been good. Interesting. And he says, downtown's a hard place to do business right now. And how many times have we heard that from business owners lately? Well, and Erica, you mentioned you go to the Aspen Grove location, which I think maybe some folks don't even know that it's there, but it is due yeah. every time in there. I'm in there. It's doing great. It's bustling. And, you know, honestly, I think a lot of these things have to do, obviously, with like Amazon and the way corporate America is allowed to do what it wants. And like, obviously, we're not like Germany. We don't subsidize um, bookstores and we should. And book they selling. subsidize bookstores in Germany? We do. Yeah. I and had no so, idea. But that, and because, That's fascinating. Right. I mean, it, to be fair, like, and I want to be clear, like, I am pro remote work and I am pro ebook and I am pro things that allow people to have their lives as they stand in the most humane way possible. But I also love the idea that I feel like maybe mm, millennials like are better at than I think people my age and older, which is, huh, what's an entirely new way to do this to retain some of the things we like, even in this corporate hellhole? And for example, the Aspen Grove store, the 
some of the reason why it's bustling is just because out in the suburbs, like some people live there because they got to live there. And they're, they also have a specialty, which is horror. Mm. Um, the, the guy who works there, he prioritizes horror. He prioritizes horror writers. And he gets people like Chuck Wendig, who was there just the other day, to read there. And that's got a huge nerd audience, a huge horror audience. And so he's smart. He's, and I think that's a way to do it is to make, like, okay, ebooks are fine. And maybe there's a way that, you know, Tatter Cover could sell ebooks. I don't know. But the other part of it is like, okay, if we're going to be like physically in person with physical objects, how can you something. make it? Yeah. How can you make it like fun in an event, you know, specific? Kwame You're, said that they they had a lot of success with events. He said that that was a big priority for him when he came in. But the other point that he made, and maybe it's explained some of this, is that, and I did, I mean, once you hear it, it's like, oh, yeah, of course that makes sense. A book, you pay the same price no matter where the store is. So if it's McGregor Square where they have really high rents and really high labor costs, you still pay $20 for a, a paperback of Whitehorse. Whereas out in Westminster or maybe in the Colorado Springs, or you, that's $20 everywhere. Yeah, I guess for me that would be like, it's easier to park at Aspen Grove. Yeah, I, all <laughs> those true. things. All yeah. those things. But also something, you're, Erica, you touched on, which is so crucial that it has been lost in the world of the algorithm and all of it. It's not lost. People talk about it all the time. You're talking about a human curating something, and that draws people in. Someone's taste is evident in that store and people that are gravitating towards that taste go to that store. So they might go to the Aspen Grove tattered cover and not the other ones for that exact reason. And then they bring their friends who are also into that. Absolutely. And horror is huge. We're in the middle of horror season right now. Yes. Like Halloween season is, I mean, there's, it's just, it makes so much sense. And that is so interesting to know that if you are a horror person, you go to this particular tattered cover yeah. To, to see what this person has brought to the shelves. Because book buyers are tastemakers. I mean, it happens within the public library as well. So, I, uh, you know, what are they, do you know what they're going to do with McGregor Square? I feel like that's the hottest topic of these three stores because mm. it's right in the middle of downtown. It's right in the middle of this brand new development. It was touted as this. I remember, I feel like Kwame explained the how it was going to be this like beautiful built. It was like the way that the store was being built was as beautiful or supposed to be as beautiful as the previous stores. What are they going to do with it now? No idea. <laughs> I assume they break the lease. I mean, yeah. that's the way these these things work. And the, the way this bankruptcy is happening, and it's actually a really important point. It's, it's not the scariest kind of bankruptcy, which is the one where the bankruptcy court forces you to liquidate <sighs> so your creditors can get something. It's the reorganization kind. So now what the bankruptcy court is doing is negotiating or facilitating negotiation with the tattered cover and their creditors. This is why the CEO was flying off to New York. He was talking to publishing companies who they owe a bunch of money for backordered books. They're just trying to negotiate a good price and help the creditors see that the company is worth more alive than dead. So oh, what's going to happen with the McGregor Square location? I think they're going to probably try to offload that lease. Yeah. Probably try to get rid of those assets, show these creditors that they can they can survive. You asked Kwame about those leases, right? That was that under his leadership that they signed those leases? He says he did support the growth strategy. Uh -huh. And that was the thing that we always associated him with these expansions to Colorado Springs and Westminster and et cetera. Um, but he, this, the leases specifically in Westminster and McGregor Square, he says they were signed before he became CEO. And he says that the McGregor Square was suffered, especially from the pandemic. Those were pre-2019 leases. And the Westminster one, he said, 
the the development in that area never caught up. Mm. It never came to the place that he says they 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 were told it they was were going promised. to. But you know, I mean, take that's, that with a grain of salt. You know, it's development in real estate. That's that's fleeting. You can't. Yeah. Um, I just want to speak to one more aspect of this, which is uh, laying off twenty seven people. Generally, folks that work at bookstores uh, care a lot about books and reading and cultivating readers, and it's just one of those like. I don't know if it's like a passion job, but it is definitely something that people, a lot of folks I know that have worked at Tattered Cover over the years is because they love books. And I just feel for them in this moment too, because I don't know, losing your job sucks. And I also mentioning the yeah. liquidation thing, Paul, I've worked through a liquidation. It's the most demeaning, oh, really? it's the most demeaning experience ever because oh, people gosh. are literally coming into the place where you work and buying things out from under you. Like, well, <laughs> I'll buy this display case. Uh, well, I oh, still have God. stuff on it. Okay, well, I'm going to buy it because it's for sale. If if tattered, it's awful, it's it's an awful experience as a retail person. Heart goes out to those people. It sounded like those were maybe not so good of jobs at a certain point during the yeah, pandemic as sure. well. So I hope that they're going on to better, bigger and better I things. I do too. Um, if tattered cover liquidates, is there any pieces, any stuff in there you'd want to oh. get a sweet deal on? Other than a, that a tattered cover bookcase. The, I mean, the sculpture of the guy would the be grandpa pretty reading. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Can I buy that? I, actually, that thing is too large for my home. You could go in your home, Paul. Yeah. You have, you have a large living room. I'll think about it. I'll okay. talk to my wife. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> well, sad story all around. We'll be watching. It could be happy again. If we shop there at this holiday season, if we show these creditors the tattered cover is still strong and people still love it, Denver could still have a strong bookstore like this again. Okay. I, it could happen. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I buy a lot of cards there. <laughs> calendars. That's from from what I understand. So Dempsey is offering everyone a severance package, and I'm really glad about that. That seems like the ethical thing to do. Yeah. And then there was some talk about like further merch, and I know that seems corporate, and it is. However, that's where we're at. And at the same time, I can't deny, since I love Tattered Cover and I have such a like relationship with it, I do want to buy Tattered Cover merch. I do. Like, Because if you go in Barnes & Noble, there's like a billion things you can buy, and I that aren't books. But yeah, I actually have no problem with that just because, you know, that would be fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? you got to diversify. And also, mm -hmm. I mean, they have a brand. They have an iconic brand. Exactly. We see this with companies all the time. The brand itself yeah. is what's keeping it relevant. Sometimes I wonder if that's like too much of our nostalgia for the tattered cover of that we yeah. once had. Because like, you know, I have a kid. I want to take him, yeah. you know, to tattered cover to want. And which we do. We actually get books there pretty often for him. But am I just dragging out something that's inevitably not going to matter for other people? I don't know. He'll be nostalgic for things you don't even know yet. I know. You know? That's yeah. going to be weird. It's like when I hear people nostalgic for Barnes and Noble. And then I remember <laughs> if you were in the suburbs, yeah. that might have been the only place yes. you could get books. Oh, so God. Mm -hmm. I get it. B. Dalton. Yeah. Was oh, the my big God. One B. Dalton. For me. There yeah. In the mall. The mall. My parents would like shop in the mall and I'd be like, goodbye. And I'd go right in the, you know. <laughs> Coolest kid at the mall. Yeah. Excuse me. Drop me off yeah. at the bookstore. Yeah. I'm like if I just had $6, I could buy this book, you know. <laughs> I'll read as much as I can before they buy their shirts. Oh, know. my gosh. That, see, really, that makes you the coolest kid, honestly. It wasn't that way at the time. Yeah. But I feel but that you now. now. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Best of luck to Tattered Cover. I have mixed feelings about it, but I want it to survive, and I want the folks who work there to get paid and treated fairly. So. I want to know what listeners think. 
You yeah. gonna shop there this holiday season? Absolutely. Which is your favorite store? Is there one that you like that currently exists? Do you have an argument for McGregor Square that maybe we're missing? Yeah. You know? So um, give us a call on the what what's tattered cover worth to you hotline, 720-500-5418. Again, the tattered cover feelings hotline is 720-500-5418. This episode is brought to you by Pine Melon, the farmer's market delivered. Pine Melon is a next-generation grocery delivery app that partners with over 200 farmers, ranchers, and producers in Colorado to help make fresh, locally sourced foods available to the Denver community at fair prices. Get high-quality meats, eggs, and dairy from small local farms, fresh-baked breads from local bakeries, and more, as well as all of your favorite pantry staples. Best part is, Pine Melon offers same-day delivery to Denver and soon Boulder within a two-hour window, no subscription necessary. Save time in your busy schedule and get fresh and healthy groceries delivered right to your door. Join the movement and support local today. Use promo code CityCastDenver for $75 off your first delivery at PineMelon.com. That's PineMelon.com. Okay, we're back with our Rocky Mountain highs and lows sometimes called wins and fails, things that were awesome this week, things that totally sucked. Uh, we will start with things that suck so we can end on the things that rule. Uh, Paul, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah, I actually have a uh, a very epic fail to okay. discuss this week. Um, so last Sunday, my wife and I are driving home from a weekend getaway in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, very nice. Um, we drive home on I-25, of course, and uh, no issues. Totally fine. We get home. We're greeted by the news that a bridge oh. over I-25 has collapsed. Uh, un- tragically, a-, a truck driver died. And derailed, derailed, derailed a train. train. Yeah. It was a horrifying sight. Maybe you've seen the pictures on social media or something. It's just awful. It's ugly. It's very sad. Um, That's not even my fail. My fail is I get home. My wife tells me about something called the American Road and Transportation Builders Association. They publish an annual report on the status of bridges (sighs) across the country. (gasps) They say that there are 58, quote, structurally deficient bridges in Denver right now. Oh, and one of them is at uh, Alameda, where I go under the train tracks every day for sure. It has to be on there. That you thing think? looks like it was built in 1930. I'll send you the report. We can verify. I kind of want to talk, like figure out what these bridges are. I like need to know which <laughs> these bridges are. They're not- I'm not laughing. I'm just, oof. That's real. I thought the part yeah. about this story that was concerning to me was they were trying to figure out who was in whose fault it was. Yeah. Whose whose jurisdiction did the bridge fall under so we can talk to them about yeah, who's not paying to fix not, this bridge? Who's not fixing it? That's awful. Also, yeah, my heart goes out to that person's family. Ugh. Well, weird. Isn't well, that just like oh my god. It's a Paul story. Paul, uh, dig in and come back with the top ten bridges that suck in Denver and, or in Colorado and let us know where they are so we can feel <laughs> we'll terrified of it. Yeah, it's perfect. It <laughs> would be fun. Erica, do you have a fail? Uh, fail. Hmm. Well, there's an overall fail that leads to a win. Is that a yeah? Is that sure, sure. A we way can to go. Connect them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the thing that's on my mind um, a lot as a writer is uh, you know obviously banned books, and so people talk a lot about kids' books, or they talk a lot about that in libraries, or you know the the business with Scholastic, which is so which is absolutely a fail. It's not a local fail. It's a it's a national fail, and I think um, really it truly is. 
about in every in every instance there are like ten people collectively causing this. Isn't that they, crazy? Yeah, like the ban- the book banning happening across school districts across the country is like five pissed parents in a district can <laughs> it's why it's just terrifying yeah. to me as like a, a parent who's I mean my kid's gonna read whatever he wants to read we are a very you know we are a very literary family in terms of what he gets to do but like it's it is it is like very unsettling that it doesn't take that many people to change curriculums and not in a good way. They literally hide under a couple of things. I've I've unfortunately learned the hard way, and I even did a TikTok about it because I'm very young. Hmm. And I'm share on your the TikTok. Share the account. People yes. want to follow you. I think I it's hear just E R I K A T W U R T H. Um, I think we'll okay. link to it. Yeah, yeah. and essentially there are a couple of laws that like allow for harassment. Um, basically, there's Section 230, which was upheld by the Supreme Court recently, mm-hmm. created in 96 by Clinton to protect Internet. Um, and then there's uh, the elimination of the Fairness Doctrine by Reagan in 86. Mm-hmm. So in other words, no matter what you publish, it's under the rubric of the op-ed. And obviously, David Foster Wallace did something about this. And what happens is it all combines into nothing that you say or do has consequences online or in life when it comes to talking about writers and writers' books. And so you can, for example, say there's going to be huge protest when it's just four crazy trolls on the internet. And there will be no protest. um, And there can be no suing because when you're a writer or an institution like Scholastic, what have you, you're a public entity. So if you try to sue, you will be hit with anti-slap. And you will, if you lose, and you probably will because the bar for defamation is so high, you will you will lose, um, and you'll have to pay their court fees. And so all these combine huh. to a disaster where a very small group of people can tell complete lies um, and get their way. And so the win <laughs> is that something like this happened locally in Douglas County. Um, and people always think of the suburbs as really conservative, and they're probably more conservative than many other places in Denver. But I've actually looked it up. It's about 50-50. But there are people who— Liberals and conservatives? Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But um, unfortunately, the conservatives, like, work harder, and they're more willing to lie about the things. Yeah. And so there, something came up locally in a Douglas—I think it was school district, and the good guys won this time. They were like, nope, we're—you know, we're going to still have these books on the shelves. Well, and I think it oh, takes that's great. parents yeah. that believe in free speech also coming to those yes. meetings and facing yes. these people that are telling blatant lies about the content yes. of the books that our yes. kids should have access to. And adults. <laughs> What's this thing about David Foster Wallace? I don't know what you're referring to. Um, and his, you know, what's funny about David Foster Wallace is like, if you think of Roxanne Gay, she's like the master of like the personal plus the um, journalistic essay, right? Mm-hmm. And really, she kind of sits on David Foster Wallace, who would hate that because where is her big place? The internet, right? And but that's exactly what he pioneered. Like the thing he's probably the best at, known for beyond like big giant weird books, um, are are these essays where he did these things for Rolling Stone or what have you. Yeah. And that's one of the things he talked about. He's like, look, and I don't think he even understood a that this form would be what it is now in the internet age and who would take it up. And I've never I've never heard Gay say, you know, yes, I got this from Wallace. Maybe she didn't, but it's clearly he's the one who I think really popularized it before the internet. But like B, also what this means. So the Fairness Doctrine Act, right, before 1986, you had to have two sides. And if you did a gigantic falsehood, you were fined. Now that is not the case. You can hmm. say whatever you want. It is an op-ed. That is so 
wild. Interesting. Yeah. Also, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking about Roxanne yeah. Gay as the black queer woman. Right. And Foster Wallace is like, you know, he's like Twitch. literary bro. Right. <laughs> right. But I love him anyway. But you also know? She's, she's the beauty yeah. of the internet in that access matters. Yes. yes. So she yes. has, she had a forum to connect with people who would have mm-hmm. maybe not found her work otherwise. Yep. Um, oh, okay. My fail is. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Brie. It's It's local and national. The demise, uh, the eminent demise of Bandcamp. Um, Bandcamp <laughs> is a platform for musicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can sell your own work there. You can sell your own music. During the pandemic, pa- uh, Bandcamp did uh, Bandcamp Fridays where all of the proceeds from your sales went directly to you. So if you bought from an artist on that day, they got everything versus Bandcamp taking a percentage. Um, it wasn't so big that it was like a threat to the music industry or to like record companies, I should say. But it was an it was an access thing. Again, you could find that obscure Swedish metal band that you like that put out a record on Bandcamp. And you could also buy vinyl from them directly if you wanted to. And it was this really beautiful space. And also it had Bandcamp Daily, which was uh, the sort of it was the music magazine arm of it. So it was a lot of music criticism, music th- you know, theories about know genre. Oh, Paul, it's some of the best music writing of the last 20 years. Incredible. From Bandcamp? Yes, Bandcamp I'm Daily. Shocked. Incredible writers. Some of the my some of my like Jessica Hopper, like Mark Masters, people whose writing I have just adored. And they were they were publishing things that maybe Spin Magazine would have run 20 years ago. Ah. Unfortunately, uh Bandcamp was sold last year to a large video game company. I had no interest in what they were doing. They were just sold to Song Trader which is a uh, music licensing company, which in theory has said, oh, this is a new opportunity for all these artists to license their music, which, right, how many of them are going to get that deal and how much are they going to make? Probably not. But at any rate, they laid mm. off like 50% of the company this week, and um, which will make it harder for musicians to use the site as less people are running it. And a lot of those folks that were laid off were people that had started the Bandcamp union. So... It sucks all around. It sucks for people. People that had started the Bandcamp Union, a lot. Of, okay. uh, well, they were a large percentage of the folks laid off. Oh, uh, okay. So, wow. Total loss for the music world. The independent music world had really found a home there, and uh, I know a lot of friends that made a good percentage of their living through their Bandcamp sales, and now they will most likely be losing some of that. So, I wonder if there is there an, any alternative. Is there a different service that does something similar? Not really. Hmm. Like someone, there's a lot of philosophizing right now. Like, could we create the next beautiful thing? MySpace was actually one of the best places for musicians at its height because you could yeah. have access to everything <laughs> about them. It was it was awesome. It was so yeah. genius. Um, so something that is like, and then hopefully someone's working on something. I will put a link to if you're like me and you have a giant catalog of stuff you've purchased on Bandcamp digitally. There's a like a you can download a Chrome extension that allows you to pull all that music off and put it on your computer. So you don't have to lose your Bandcamp library. You got a big Bandcamp library, Erica? No, I actually, you know, got Spotify 10 years ago and didn't understand that actually, you know, it seems good in theory. Oh, 10 bucks. And at least it goes to some of the artists. But no, it was the death of a bunch of artists. And now it's too late because, yeah, now I've got so much in there. Sucks. So Hmm. So, Probably got some singles, some Lucy's on Bandcamp. (laughs) I think over the years I bought a few tracks on Bandcamp. I have so many of my friends' albums there that don't exist anywhere else. They're not on Spotify. Yeah. You know? So I'm just, I'm really, like, really sad about it.
Um, okay, we'll talk about wins, good things. Paul, do you have a good thing? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Give me a minute. My uh, my laptop went to sleep. What am I going to pick? Oh, I had so many wins this week. This was a good week, I felt like, That's in Denver. Good. Let's just say that for a second, huh? Okay. Pretty good. Pretty good, except for that train derailment. Um, my win is uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife Park Manager at John Martin Reservoir State Park, which is down in Southeast Colorado, uh, Dan Kermer, because his team saved a lake near Lamar from zebra mussels. There were zebra mussels in the reservoir, and I hear from our producer, Olivia, who is from Lake Country. She is from Lake Country. She keeps us up to date on Lake they were not in the reservoir, but he saved the reservoir from, from these, being from, from this being invasive, overcome. invasive species. Yeah, I'm seeing a picture. It does look like they were maybe on the on the shore of the reservoir. He saw the warning sign. He saw it, and, and he, he was, was like, like, "This is serious. We're going to lose the whole reservoir to these zebra mussels. They're going to take over." Apparently, they've already taken over one of these other reservoirs. <gasps> um, but yeah, it's a big deal. There's not much water down there. We can't lose also, a reservoir to, to that, zebra mussels. That one astute gentleman working for Parks and Wildlife was like, "Hey." Something dangerous is on the horizon. Zebra mussels. Zebra mussels. It, it could have been a problem, but thanks thanks to Dan Kermer, we're good. good stuff. At least there. I'll put a picture. I'll put a, a link in the show notes. This is a fun picture of him, too. Okay. He's wearing sunglasses. He looks very cool. <laughs> I'm also wearing sunglasses right now. Yeah, I, it's I a left, weird record today. I, I left it's... my regular glasses in the car. This is why I stopped wearing glasses. I'm like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I have a giant head. And if I just keep putting glasses These on it. Squeezing yeah. my yeah. face right yeah. now. Um, okay, so Erica, your win was uh, that some people fight back against wild people trying to get school districts to ban right. books, and right. we can actually fight back. Um, mine is the new Meow Wolf Bar. Oh, Sips you went. Sips with a Z. I went. I want to disclose, too. They are an advertiser for us. Um, this has nothing to do with that, but I want to put that out there to be transparent. Um, Olivia and I went last week to their, like, soft opening. Man, it is super cool. It's cool. It's they. It feels like it's an extension of Meow Wolf, but it has a different vibe. It has the thing that I think a lot of museums and immersive things have figured out, which is once you're done in the exhibit itself, you want somewhere to go and kick it and talk to whoever you were with about what you experienced, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like MCA has the beautiful rooftop cafe you can go to. This to me is a similar thing in that like it's a cool bar and they have a great non-alcoholic uh, drinks menu that is like actual mocktails. What'd you have? Oh God, it was so fancy. Olivia, do you remember what it was? It was like fig, bitter, figgy stardust, figgy stardust <laughs> maybe? <laughs> they had whimsical names. They had like 40 ingredients. I mean, it was like, we watched this mixologist make the drinks are you a meow wolf person erica yes i um did a room for them they i collaborated they right. had a lot of i think their original idea i'm not sure they 100 percent understood um the nuances but their original idea was to have unlike in santa fe a lot of indigenous artists most of us though to be clear are of some mexican indigenous descent and are not members of federally recognized tribes i don't think they Understood those nuances, um, but I, and I think that's a good thing actually, that that kind of diversity. But yes, I did do a room for them that was indigenous futurisms um, based off of the work of uh, Anishinaabe descent scholar named Grace Dillon. 
So, and it's like, did you collaborate cool. with another artist? Yep. Her name, her, their name was Theron. Theron Zimmerman. Yes. 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 And That's Theron awesome. like was very um, sincere in the sense of, you know, I was like, okay, I want this like other planet and it's going to be red and here are the sciencey things. And here, here's this uh, video of me as a character and my cousin who's, you know, had ancestors die at Sand Creek and my friend Stephen Graham Jones, who actually is a member of a federally recognized tribe um, in this in this tree. And we're all going to talk about past, future and present, um, you know, Denver. And it was it was super cool. And Theron really just patiently, you know, worked on my vision and like, you know, I got all these different things that were, for example, Native American architecture all across, not just in the United States, but everywhere. And she or they brought that to life. And it was it was amazing. It's a cool little room. That's awesome. Where in the building is it? I want to say it's, I was like, you know, it's, it's, it's purposefully disorienting. So even mm-hmm. though I did the room, I can't find it. <laughs> I'm like, is it on the second or the third I've floor? I've had that experience yeah. so many times where I'm like, yeah. I've been here 10 times and I can't find the place. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to show my friend. Yes. And actually put Meow Wolf in the new novel because I love Numina because it's like really? so oh. fantasy, geeky, wonderland. You know, so yeah, it's just a brief scene, but I couldn't help myself. I so. love that. Theron is a co-founder of Rainbow Dome. Okay. So the, uh, the art-inspired uh, roller skating party. So that's so cool. Well, yeah, go to Meow Wolf and then check out. Sips with a Z. Sips with a Z. It's got this real bombed out feel. It's like a, it's like almost like the, the vaporwave thing was really popular. This was actually one of the last pieces that uh, Matt King, who was, whose work is all over Meow Wolf. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. he right. died by suicide yeah. two years ago, yeah. but he, this was one of the last things that he worked on helping develop. The and bar? It, yeah. Oh, that's cool. The design of the bar. It's gorgeous. So nice work, Meow Wolf. It's beautiful. Wow. Okay. Where's the Z? The sips with a Z? Yeah, where's the Z in the sips with a Z? It's not in there. It's what sips, do you mean? S-I-P-S, S-I-P-S, and then it's with a Z. Just like the words with a Z? Huh? That's what the sign says. <laughs> okay. You can That's see very a, you can see my you can see my reel that oh. I made on Instagram. Olivia's been inspiring me to be an Instagram girly. Can't wait to can't wait to see that. Erica, thank you so much for coming back. Yes. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Bree. See you next time. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were Paul Caroli, Olivia Jewell-Love, and Lizzie Goldsmith. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter, Hey Denver. I'm Bree Davies, your host. Our music is by Los Mocachetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. Oh, and Paul wants to specially thank Jengbo Shim, Associate Professor of Finance and Risk Management at CU Denver for explaining how the tattered cover bankruptcy is going to work. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, follow us on Instagram at CityCastDenver, and tell the nurses at Stout Street Clinic about us next time you see them. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. Bye! Um, I need one more thing. Book book bands? Bad bridges. She's a bad bridge. She's a bad bridge in the streets. <laughs> She's a structurally unsound bridge in the streets. <laughs>